Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Carlos Durr here from Fightful.com and FightfulBoxing.com. We head and subscribe to our new Fightful MMA and Boxing YouTube channel where we have tons of podcasts and interviews from the MMA world to boxing. Just about real quick, and maybe if not today, if tomorrow, I will have an interview up with Feng, uh, Meng Feng Long, the Chinese light heavyweight contender who's going to be facing Adam Danis this Saturday on June 1st in an IBF light heavyweight title eliminator from Macau, China during the IBF convention. But before we get to that, I want to introduce a special guest of mine. A, uh, most of you from Twitter, from Boxing Twitter, may recognize him as No Sparring on Twitter. Here he is, joining us on the podcast for the first time ever. Nick from Ring TV, correspondent for Ring TV, based out of Japan, covers a lot of the lighter weights and does a lot of coverage in Japan. I follow his work a lot. I really, really do enjoy his work. And when I started doing uh, boxing journalism a couple of years back, Nick was one of the first guys that I started reading about and checking up his work to sort of get familiar with the Asian boxing scene. And I'm so honored to have him on the podcast. Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I appreciate the very uh, kind introduction. Um, I, yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, how's everything out in Puerto Rico? How's the boxing scene going out there? You have to get me caught up. Yeah, it's uh, oh boy, it was a it was a very very mixed bag of results uh, from you know on the top rank card where I mean you had Jose Pedraza winning, uh, you right. had Edgar uh, Berlanga winning on the undercard, yeah. and then you have Javier Cintron who initially we all thought he lost by knockout, then it turns out on replay he got knocked out by Coquietto's head of all things was it a head it turned out it was the head yeah yeah initially it was ruled a first round knockdown by a right hand and then we they kind of showed a replay and then like you could clearly see that it was like the head but when you watched it live like it all was so fast you initially everyone thought it was going to be a right hand got it yeah, I, I heard a little rumblings on Twitter, but it was a bit uh, a bit of a busy day this weekend for boxing, so it's kind of hard to keep up with just about everything. And, and Koki Ito, correct me if he's wrong, is he Japanese? Is, he's from Japan, yeah? Yeah, yeah, Koki Ito is from Japan, and he is... So uh, it's funny, it's funny, uh-huh. because I'm supposed to be the, the Japanese guy, but every once in a while, it's just, you know, a guy or two will pop up out of nowhere from a, you know, a gym you've never heard of, and he's got, you know, a mandatory, you know, shot, or he's, you know, in an elimination fight, and 
you're you know doing your homework real quick to figure out who these guys are. And uh, you know now I think we'll probably all figure out who Koki Ito is. You know real quick, he's the guy with a really strong head. Uh, <laughs> but you know I'm really happy for I'm really happy for the sniper Pedraza. Uh, my buddy Mike Leonardi is a, a manager of his uh, based out of Las Vegas, and I'm actually uh, writing a piece on Mike um, about his um, endeavors as you know a manager in boxing and kind of you know being one of the the new blood uh, life forces um, you know in this sort of ever aging industry that we're in and so for me I was really happy to see my buddy Mike uh, succeed with uh, Pedraza I actually saw Pedraza um, fight last August um, who did he fight? I think he, it was the uh, that Raymond Bell fight? fight yeah and I you know a lot of respect for Pedraza because he went into the fight not only as the challenger but in a really unique position as a fighter where there was a contract already signed for a unification fight after that. And you don't see too many unifications, you know, in boxing, generally speaking. Uh, luckily, I'm seeing a bit more. You know, we have the WBSS and things like that. But Pedraza went into a situation knowing he's not going to get just one, but two title sh shots if he wins. And then from there on, you know, anything could have happened. But unfortunately, he ran into uh, high-tech Lomachenko, and, you know, things went a different way. But uh, he seems to be right back in the mix. What, I don't know. What do you think? You're the expert on uh, Puerto Rico. I'm just you know, an outside observer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I've, I've followed Pedraza for, for a lot of years. He was the very first world champion I've ever interviewed, which was back in 2017 before he lost to Gervonta Davis. And he's always been a guy who who he likes to think ahead a lot. Like, even before losing to Davis, he, he already had plans to fight at lightweight. And yesterday, he was saying that he has an eye at fighting a junior welterweight. So, I think he's confident that he wants to go up in weight and thinks he can take on a Jose Ramirez. But, uh, I, I don't know. That's uh, it's, I think he might have to. If he doesn't get a fight against Richard Comey next, uh, or at least sometime right. in the future before the Comey-Loma unification fight, then they're really is nothing for Pedraza at 135. Like 130s might be a little too much for him to do at this point of his career. So maybe try out uh, going to 140. Why not? Yeah, yeah. Why not? If his power can go up with him. Um yeah, the Pedraza thing, I, I'm personally I'm rooting for him not just because I am a Puerto Rican boxing fan because he gave me, he was fortunate, he was kind enough to give me my first interview, you know, with a first world champion, but yeah, we'll see oh, nice. uh, with what his uh, career has to, has in store for him. So yeah, so one thing that I wanted to get you on is yeah. the fact that you are the Japanese expert, at least between the two of us, at the very least, you are far more <laughs> knowledgeable about the Japanese boxing scene than I am. And we had a couple of noteworthy Japanese stars fight this weekend. Also yeah. on that same card that Pedraza fight in the main event, Jamel Herring exactly. beats Masayuki Ito to win the WBO Super Featherweight title. Right. It was... Uh, it was a very interesting fight, very physically demanding for both guys. Herring won the fight by unanimous decision. I sure. thought that the fight was a lot closer than the scorecards ended up being. I thought 118-110 on two scorecards was absolutely egregious and discrediting Masayuki Ito. But personally, I thought Herring won the fight. Just wanted to get your thoughts on the result as well. Yeah, I agree with you. Herring won the fight. He's a, a slick southpaw. Um, and I, I have to agree with you also on the on the scorecards there. When um, a, a, a thing popped up on ESPN showing what Andre was thinking, Andre Ward, he had a 5-0 um, 
for Harry. And at that point, I had it, I think, 3-2 maybe um, for, for Ito. And so I was, I was a bit shocked that they were seeing it one way. And I guess I've sort of taken an issue with a bit of the whole kind of promotion of things because, you know, everyone likes to sort of buy into a promotion and kind of go the way, you know, follow the promotion in the way they want you to follow it. And that's fine. Um, but for me, I thought it was a little one-sided. I get it. It's Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Herring's a Marine. Uh, it, it's, it's a great promotion for them. But, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, there's two fighters there. And the other one happens to be the champion. And I just kind of felt like uh, the promotion was a little bit uh, one-sided. And But, you know, lucky, luckily for the promoter top rank, you know, their, their guy won. And, and they'll say, and they actually told me today, hey, they were both our guys. Well... Uh, Ito is co-promoted by you, um, so it's like a 50-50 thing, maybe 60-40, whatever way they, you know, it breaks down, I'm not exactly sure, but, and Herring is your 100% guy, so I think if they were going to lean one way or the other, they, they were in Herring's corner, and they wanted him to win, and that's why I think everything's sort of centered around it, and, and, you know, to be fair, you know, I am the Japanese, you know, boxing correspondent, and, uh, I, I, you know, I, I'd be lying if I told you I wouldn't have preferred Ito winning, because I like covering, you know, champions. And the more champions that are in Japan, the, the better it is for me, and, and, and the more exciting it can be to some degree when, when you're talking about championship-level fights and making the big fights, right? That's what we all, you know, want to see, and that's what we all want to talk about and be a part of. So, uh, naturally, you know, a guy from Cincinnati, I, I'm not going out to Cincinnati anytime soon, um, but, you know, I'll give all the credit in the world to Jamal Herring, you know, he fought a good fight, he did his thing, um, and... Going back to just the fight being made in itself, I, I thought it was a dangerous fight for for Ito. I, I didn't understand from the from the uh, from right off the bat why he wanted to use his voluntary against a slick southpaw or a southpaw in general, uh, like Harry, who moves around a lot. Ito likes to go forward and he likes to fight. He likes to brawl. Why why they wanted to make that fight in the first place? Um, you know, I, I didn't really I didn't really get it. And in my, you know, humble opinion or my educated guess is it was probably to some degree a money grab. But I, I think it was a short sighted money grab. You know, you have top rank and Bob Arum telling you, Hey, you know, we'll put it on ESPN, just come fight our guy. You know, maybe you'll beat him, maybe not. It's a fifty fifty fight, the crowd'll love it, blah blah blah. Let's get this ESPN money and so they thought, Okay, this is the best money option for us. Let's go out and do it and hopefully our guy will win. But I feel like the risk just, you know, obviously, as we can see, you can look at it from hindsight. But, I, you know, again, from the onslaught, I, I thought it was too risky. And, uh, you know, they could have made, maybe made more money from Ito had they just taken a little bit more time and not been. If you want to call it aggressive, you know, I, I just I just didn't see the appeal of, of fighting Jamal Herring, minus the, the promotion, which was, you know, it was a great promotion for Herring. You know, it, it didn't benefit Ito at all, and obviously he lost. And uh, you know, we can all talk about you know, it was a bad decision now, but uh, I, I didn't like that at all for him as a voluntary. And he, you know, could have taken a maybe a better fight for him, maybe stayed in Tokyo, maybe even gone to LA, made some fans out there with the Japanese community out there, and uh, you know, gone into a unification with Burchell later on, and just completely avoided a guy like Jamal Herring and let top rank do what they do but you know they have a lot of sway over uh, guys that they co-promote and you know they, it's easy for them to uh, you know put the ESPN money in front of them and maybe put them in positions that aren't entirely as beneficial for uh, for these co-promoted fighters who you know can come from places like Japan so good fight I guess you know uh, disappointed 
obviously, you know, it didn't go the way that uh, I, you know, would have liked to have seen it because, you know, covering the Japanese guys. And uh, it was funny because, you know, um, (laughs) you know, we, we, it's America, it's Memorial Day weekend and everything and everyone's buying into, you know, herring and everything. And I'm kind of on the outside here, just, you know, trying to even things out a little bit and hoping, you know, it goes the other way. Um, but at the same time, as a fan of boxing or as a journalist in boxing, you got to just sort of, you know, watch the fight and see what happens and, and watch it play out, um, and, and and you know, let the let everything lie as it as it will. But um, yeah, the fight happened, um, and you know, we move on. Um, I talked to Tekken actually uh, this morning, and I asked him about a rematch clause. I asked them what's what's next for Ido, basically, and. They said, well, they're loaded up in the division. They have a lot of super featherweights. Uh, and, you know, they can put those guys right back in the mix if they want to. Or, uh, you know, they can put Ito in there maybe for a rematch. They said maybe. Um, but I think sometimes you see guys go into rematches too quickly against guys that they're not very stylistically, you know, able to uh, to beat. Uh, Takashi Uchiyama was one. He lost his title to... Uh, to Corrales, and then he went right into a rematch and, and lost again, and his career is over. You see Dogba, uh, uh, Dogba, and he lost to, uh, what's his name? The, the Navarrete. Guy. Yeah, Emmanuel right. Navarrete. Right, yeah, exactly. He lost there, and then came in again for another rematch and lost even more convincingly. So these, you know, big-time rematches can sometimes actually work against you, um, and maybe it would be in Ito's... Uh, in uh, his best uh, interest to maybe not go with that rematch and, and let maybe some of the other super featherweights take a, a crack at him or just, you know, work work your way up or go go to a different, uh, work look for another title maybe, you know, let that one go. I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, because it's, it's really weird because obviously there's the rematch calls and I'm kind of thinking from Ito's standpoint, if he thinks that he still can beat Jamel Herring, I would not be, I wouldn't be so quick to get the immediate rematch if, you know, if you want at the very least to at least maximize the potential for a rematch, at least on Ito's side, I figure, you know, wait until, you know, maybe let Jamel get a title defense or maybe get the volunteer, uh, the unification against Miguel Burchelt and then kind of do what Ryota Murata did and, you know, wait until much later to do the rematch and go to Japan. And based on the time, like, why not sort of make a slow build for a rematch or if Burchell beats Herring, have Burchell go to Japan and maybe ESPN finds the rights to do a U.S. broadcast of the traditional New Year's Eve show, which are always absolutely loaded, and I always think that it's a crime that those shows aren't being readily available for fans in the U.S. I completely agree. Luckily, with the streaming services now, we might be able to see you know a thing or two change. Um, actually, the card on December 30th, um, two of the fights were broadcast on ESPN Plus this year. The Ken Shiro fight was not. I think it was Takuma Inoue uh, and uh, one but, of the others, but yeah, but, and Ido was the other, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Ido was the other because he was, you know, he's, he's you know co-promoted by ESPN and their uh, top-ranking ESPN. But you're absolutely right because I would much rather see Ido face Burchelt anyways because stylistically they match up. So I don't know what your opinion is. Maybe you can tell me who do you think wins Burchelt Herring? Because if I think it's Burchelt, so if you have Burchelt take out Herring, you can still have that Ido match there. I don't think he necessarily lost too much, you know, from a reputation standpoint because southpaws are always going to be difficult, and if they're moving around 
around a lot and they're playing the outside. It's they're, they're going to be tough guys to to, to defeat. You know, they're, they're 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 tricky. So maybe let let the Burchell unification fight happen, and then you know I just don't see Burchell going to Tokyo even for a New Year's fight unless they can offer him a lot of money. Um, and I would be totally okay with it happening in LA. There's a Japanese community there. There's a strong Hispanic community there. Um, let it, let it happen there. That could be fine too. And let let everyone. Uh, you know, enjoy it on a, a prime time, and and you know what? Maybe it can even still happen on on New Year's Eve. Why not? Maybe we can just broadcast it back to Japan. We can uh, we can switch it up a little bit. Yeah, that'd be really interesting to sort of get that kind of um, broadcast in terms of getting Ito and Burchell together. I think Burchell beats Jamel Herring. I think he, Burchell is just way too strong. I think uh, from the physical yeah. standpoint, he's too quick. Uh, the one thing that I do kind of worry a little bit, and this is where Jamel Herring can exploit. Uh, Burchell is that he kind of has a tendency to sort of leave himself open when he's exploding for the furious rally. So the question is going to be if whether or not you can sort of withstand that early onslaught that Burchell has um, usually does in his fights. And the opponents that he's faced in his last few title defenses are guys that either get cut so uh, very easily or don't possess the strongest chin in the world. So from a physical standpoint, Burchell's title uh, Title ring has been full of favorable matchups, but I, I do think Burchell is an outstanding boxer, and I think he'll beat Jamel Herring. And I think stylistically, a fight between Ito and, and Herring, um, and not Herring, Burchell would be uh, would be a very entertaining watch. Yeah, I agree. Let's let's make it happen. I, I'm you know I'm a fan for any unification, and I say that over and over again. I, I think when um, actually when the Pedraza Lomachenko fight was made, people were saying that they weren't giving. Uh, Pedraza his, his, his due credit. He's a world champion. It's a unification fight. I'm sorry it's not uh, maybe another name that you're hoping for, but unifications, I think, need to happen because the sport is so convoluted with these belts. It's hard for, for casual fans and, and, and even some, some uh, you know, hardcore fans to recognize who, who the best in the division is unless they fight each other. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan and I will always support any unification that's always that, that, that that's made always end of story um, so if, if that fight is made I am 100% behind it and would, would love to see it happen you know you mentioned uh you know, a convoluted situation with the belts and everything. You know, China today had a really good boxing card with two quote-unquote world title fights. And I use the term world title fights very, very loosely, although I do have a ton of respect for the title holders that competed today. Uh, two title fights. First, we had uh, Can Shu go up against Shun Kubo for the WBA regular featherweight title. Uh, I thought that this fight was very entertaining, uh, action-packed sure. from the start, but it, you could tell from like round three that Kanshu was going to dominate Shun Kubo, that it, it was going to be a matter of when Kubo's defenses were going to break down, and I thought Kanshu, you know, his energy was is, is unreal, he yeah. constantly attacked, uh, attacked Shunkubo's face, and he dropped him, I believe, late in the fifth round with just this beautiful, like, one-two combination, and then after, he landed the just amazing left hook to the chin, and by that point, it was, you know, it was essentially over. It was, uh, he either was going to get stopped that round or the next round, and it turns out, Kanshu won via stoppage in the sixth round. I really like this fight, and I really, really like Kanshu. 
Yeah, I do too. He's a fun fighter to watch. I think he, you know, popped up on a lot of people's radar after that win in, in, in January in Houston. Um, I actually got turned on to him when I was watching Naoya Inoue spar one evening in Yokohama, and I was like, I don't know who this guy is in the ring with him, but you know, he looks good. He's you know, he's standing his ground. He, he's uh, he's bigger than uh, Inoue. He, he's in there, and, and 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 you know, he's there. I mean, it's hard to get into the ring with some some guys like the monster. I mean. Pound for pound, guys have to spar somebody, right? And they got to push him to the edge. So when I saw this guy in there with Inoue, I was immediately impressed. And shortly thereafter, some fights started being put together for him. And uh, I was obviously confident having seen him spar successfully with uh, with the monster. And, and and he's proving some points. He's looking he's looking good, and he's a fan friendly fighter, I think. And I'm excited to see more. But yeah, you you. <laughs> Yeah, the, the championship fights, the WBA. Oh, before we get to that, sorry, Kubo. I, I'm curious how his eye was holding up. Um, I had just learned about it. Uh, I had interviewed him briefly before his fight. He's had eye problems for the last two years, or specifically one eye, and he had to get corrective eye surgery um, on one of his eyes here just last uh, in March, just semi-recently. So I'm curious um, if, if being punched in the face you know, so soon after this surgery, this operation, or, or even in sparring, if that jarred loose something, or if his vision was really all there, because um, his last fight was over a year ago, actually, and it went it went the distance, and he just slipped out a majority uh, uh, decision when it should have been more of a clean cut win for him. Yeah, it was a Hiroshi Osawa if I remember correctly. Exactly. Thank you. And um, and. Apparently, his eye injury had happened uh, even before that. So he went into that fight with double vision, actually, and eked out a win and goes into this one right after a surgery. I I'm wondering how much, you know, he was even there. And, that's, and I'm not trying to take any uh, credit away from Kanju at all. That guy's fun. He's an exciting fighter to watch, and I'm excited to see more of him. But, you know, boxing is a, is a dangerous is a dangerous sport, and things like your eyes, that's, that's scary. I mean... You're risking a lot pointing to something like that. So I'm just wondering, you know, how how much he was actually there. But yeah, you're right. It's for a uh, some type of title. It's called the yeah the regular title, the WBA regular title. And uh, at the ring, uh, the ring magazine does not recognize these titles. And in every article where uh, a fighter is is you know fighting for for one of these or challenging for one of these titles, there's always an editor's note. This is not a real title or this is not something that the ring recognizes. And that's good. I think that's good. That's something that has to be done. And it, it needs to be said that, you know, these titles are not exactly, you know, they're, they're not real full titles. And that's, that's taking credit away from a lot of people. Um, like uh, Leo Santa Cruz, he's, he's the real champion, right? Yeah, yeah, he's the real champion. And, and listen, I, and again, I love Scanchu, but, you know, the title that he holds, it's a title that shouldn't exist. And and even though I personally, in my articles, I do, I don't say that, like, it's, like, the full-on world title, the uh, the regular title. I always try to make an emphasis saying this is called the regular title, or I just call it a secondary title, because, you know, yeah. it's not a title that should be recognized as the top title, unless it's, like, an extremely convoluted situation with, like, um, with an Alberto Machado who beat Jethro Corrales and he was the super yeah, champion then he got yeah. relegated to regular champion to make way for Gervonta Davis and, and, and in that situation I actually recognized the guy that beat Machado as the true WBA title holder because he was the guy that beat the guy that beat the guy 
absolutely. You put you hit the nail on the head there, and 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 it's just a disgusting situation in boxing that apparently none of us can get rid of. And I remember um, uh, reading Dan back in the day, Dan on ESPN, and he he hates the belts just as much as as anyone. And apparently, a couple years ago, I think the WBA, uh, Mr. Mendoza, had said something along the lines of we were going to try to get rid of all of these regular belts and clean it up. And it, obviously that hasn't happened. There's more titles are out there than, than ever before. It's it's not a great situation. And it's, what happened was I was um, I was watching the Inoue fight, and he is a WBA regular champion as well. And after he um, closed out Rodriguez, um, Puerto Rican, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, he the, the Japanese commentary was all about how he just unified two titles. But that's that's a a the the regular title wasn't on the line because the WBA you know didn't want to upset Nietes uh, in the situation and and B there's no such thing as unifying a regular title with another organization's title that's it I don't I don't think that's ever happened even if it did happen it doesn't mean anything so you have 20 million Japanese people who watched or however many and they all think he just had a unifying fight when in actuality. He's now the IBF champion, and he's now the Ring Magazine champion. So he does have two belts, two actual recognized belts in the sport of boxing. But that regular title business is not a real thing. Uh, uh, it's a real thing, but it's, I don't know, it's, it's weird. And Correct me if I'm wrong, did I catch the, the president of, of China? Was he in the crowd? Did you see him when you were watching the stream this morning? Um, I, honestly, I, I, didn't, I wouldn't even know what he looked like, but there were a couple of <laughs> moments. he was there. Yeah, but but there were a couple of moments where they were showing like a couple of like noteworthy people on like ringside, right. but because they like there was no graphics, there was no commentary, right. there was like no graphics. Yeah, so like unless you like really study up on like modern Chinese culture or Chinese politics, you would have there. no idea what any of these people, who any of these people were. I think he was there, and not only that, I think he thinks that Kanju is the is the world champion. I think he thinks he's the super champion. I think everyone in the crowd thinks that uh, he's the super champion. However many Chinese, you know, tune into the fight, I think they think he's the world champion. And again, no disrespect to Kanju, but the WBA is 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 a terrible organization for 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 doing this to people and, and to fighters and making everyone, uh, you know, think certain things or feel certain ways. When in actuality, you know, there are other guys who are. Super champions. If you want to call them the super champion, or just call them the, there, they are the world champion. I, I met Jamie McDonald before his fight against Naoya Nui last last spring, and uh, he's a great guy. You know, a lot of, a lot of courage to get in the ring with with uh, Naoya. And credit to him for uh, going to Japan. Him and his wife uh, both outside uh, in the hallway one evening. They're both, uh, or maybe it's just his wife. Excuse me. And uh, she says, "Yeah." This regular title is a shit title. We, Jamie, <laughs> he thinks so. She, she thinks so too. Uh, he thinks so too. And uh, uh, we want the real title. You know, this this title sucks. So I mean, even some of these guys know what's going on, and you know, they're just you know, it's, it's a part of the process, I guess, that you may or may not have to go through with the WBA. But yeah, you, you're talking about Machado, man. I, I feel I feel for that guy. That that shouldn't have happened. That's that's a dirty dirty thing that happened. Then. Yeah, I mean, and, and listen, and listen, Kanju was not the only, like, quote-unquote world title that appeared on the card. Strangely enough, like, Carlos Canizales versus Shokimura closed out yeah. the show, or at least was the yeah. main event, even though it everyone was under the impression that it was the Kanju-Shunkubo fight that was going to headline so the show. Too. 
I thought so too. I, I was I was shocked watching this one. I thought I'd missed the Komodo fight. I actually woke up a bit late. I, I just got back from Japan. The jet lag can be really fierce, and I woke up a bit late. And I, I woke up I think, in the third round of the uh, of the the Kanshu fight. I thought I'd missed the Komodo fight. I thought, well, well, there it is. I was looking on Twitter for some sort of you know help, and and there was none to be found. And and then here comes here comes Kamura and Kanizales. I was I was happy to see it. Don't get me wrong, but um, really surprising that they didn't put their their uh, hometown or home home country guy there in the main event, right? Yeah, especially when Kanshu was like the crowd was nuclear hot for Kanshu throughout yeah. the entire fight. And like Shokimura, he is you know he may not be Japanese, but he has a fan favorite over there. He did not That's get true. nearly enough the reaction that he got. Compared to Kanshu, like Kanshu, I don't know who was the matchmaker or who you know organized the time for the fight, but I it was I thought it was a grave mistake putting Kanshu uh, second to promotions. last. Yeah, I believe they're they're called uh, ma or what is it Max Promotions or something along those lines. I I, I almost have it there, and, and uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know what the decision was there. Very bizarre. Um, going back to the stream, I suppose that was very interesting because I actually sort of enjoyed there not being any commentary or at least um, if there had been some maybe a little bit like in between rounds would have been uh, enough um, but yeah some graphics would have been good because I'm pretty sure the president of China himself was there which is you know and I'm sure he was wondering why why the hell isn't Kanju in the, in the main event <laughs> who's this Kamara guy but yeah you're right he does have a, a following over there and it was a it was nice to wake up early Sunday morning and, and see some some boxing and to be honest with you when i'm in japan that's actually generally how it, how it plays out for me because all the fights over here are on saturday nights and so in japan it's already sunday and so i wake up uh, early in the morning and i start my day with some championship boxing and it's a great way to uh close out my week say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the dirt Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. And then I have all day relaxing or a relaxing Sunday to, you know, write up any reviews I have to do or to just kind of mess around on Twitter. And it's a great way to sort of close out your week, whereas on a Saturday night here, um, it, it can be hectic. I, I went to my first fight recently in New York City, uh, or at least my first one at Madison Square Garden. It was a con... Um, Con Crawford. Yeah, Man. I saw you there. I was like, I was what actually like right above you, and I and I've been dealing with like laptop issues, so that's why I didn't go downstairs to like um, introduce myself. But yeah, I saw. I was at that same cartoon. We were at the same area. I was just like a level above you. Oh, you should have said. You should have said hi. I don't know if you saw, but there was a bit of an altercation with me and another guy. I don't, I don't know if you caught wind of that, but some yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. Did I, you I, see that? Yeah, I replied to you on Twitter saying that like I oh, had a similar situation. Okay, yeah, oh, I, I didn't realize that was happening right behind me too. I mean, the, the, some of these guys don't know what to do in, 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 in a fight. I don't know. Yeah, it was like a weird thing. So like, um, what happened with you? What happened with you? Okay, yeah. So we a quick uh, fightful side story because I think it was a really funny story, and I don't blame like Top Rank itself. I just blame whoever no, made no. the dumb decision to do what they did to us. So I yeah. came in. So there's a time for like media. For for those of you who don't know, these are the intricacies of boxing journalism. When you go into the fight and you're covering a fight, they give you a 
time right before the, the general doors open. And the time for us, I believe, was 5 p.m. Eastern. So I got there around like 4.30 and I thought, well, I got nothing better else to do for the next 30 minutes. I'm not going to wait outside. I'm going to go get a burger at Five Guys. So when I got so when, so when I went to so I went to Five Guys, did everything, um, had to stay a little bit because I was watching the, the zone card on my phone. I was enjoying my burger. I then went to Madison Square Garden around 5.15 and then they straight up told me, oh yeah, there was a guy that came here. Uh, he wanted, you know, a place to connect his laptop with us. So we took your seat and I'm like I, I just got here like it's 15 minutes after the doors open for media and like a full not even like an hour before the fights actually begun and they and there was a big mess I you know I had to contact top rank and they told me listen no problem just steal someone else just take someone else's um chair someone that's not coming because you know and even in the biggest events there's always going to be a few journalists who uh, you know, apply for credentials and don't end up going to the fights uh, for whatever reason. So I just got a chair. No, there were no contra- There were no issue with me afterwards. But it was a very. It was super. It was like the second time I ever had to deal with something like that, and it was. It's never a ne- never a fun experience. So I feel your pain. No, it's not. Yeah, absolutely. It's an awkward situation. You're there to try to you know get work done and really focus on one thing, which is the fights. Or you know some of the people within within the industry um, to you know to a certain degree, and you really don't need some of these side distractions. The, no one no one needs that. And then when you have guys who are flipping out, my guy in particular, he, he flipped out that I was sitting in my own seat. Uh, I had shown up um, right when doors opened, more or less, and uh, got my stuff together, and realized pretty quickly that there wasn't a lot of action going on right away in the garden, and most of the uh, senior journalists kind of weren't there, uh, and. The Fighter Hotel, for most people who don't know, or, or if you don't know, is, is the Stewart Hotel. It's right across the street. And the uh, Fighter Hotel lobbies are, are always uh, humming with activity. And so I wanted to go back over there and see what I could see and see you know, what was going on. And so I went over there. Um, I should have had a Five Guys burger. That would have been a great decision. Um, that's only a block away also. Uh, why not? Uh, well, actually, why did you go to Five Guys? Because they gave us a, uh, a, a top rank. is pretty cool with um, how they treat people in the media. They, they gave us like a $20 uh, food, food. Yeah, they give they give us a voucher, and that's one thing I do voucher, like yeah. about Top Rank that they do. Uh, they are good with that kind of stuff. The thing is, yeah. I'm from Puerto Rico, and we don't have Five yeah. Guys over there in Puerto Rico. And Five sure Guys, in my okay. doesn't matter what anyone tells me, doesn't matter what my girlfriend or Evan Corn, the media relations for <laughs> Top Rank, tells me. Five Guys is the best burger in the in the U.S. And it doesn't matter who says it. It doesn't matter if like one of the the head guy of media for Top Rank doesn't matter. Yeah. Five Guys is the best burger in, in the country, and I. I will take that to my grave. That's that's fine. So first of all, um, let's get you caught up here. We're, we're, we we call him Corn Dog now. It, it, it's a nickname that um, that uh, uh, Viva Mike Altamura from um, MTK. It's a boxing management company. Him and uh, uh, some of his, his some of his friends from his Viva gang um, started calling Evan Corn Corn Dog. Um, <laughs> so his his nickname from now and forever will will be Corn Dog. So yeah, as far as five guys go. Yeah, that's a great location, and as far as I know, the the Five Guys on the East Coast tastes better than the Five Guys on the West Coast. We have one out here in Seattle, which Thank is you. for the moment. You have They're no good. idea how yeah, much really that means to me, hearing someone else say that the West Coast Five Guys is not the same as the East Coast Five Guys. It's I've been not. trying to say that for years, <laughs> and no one believed me. 
I'm here to vindicate that. I, I live on the West Coast. Our burger uh, situations, at least up in Seattle, is not as strong as maybe California with their in-and-out situation or whatnot. But we have five guys here. And I remember I lived briefly in New York City uh, when I was a, a younger man. And I remember being introduced to five guys and loving it. And then when they finally popped up out here a few years back, I went there and I, you know, had a burger, and you know, I was like, "This isn't, this isn't what I remember. I, I didn't, I wasn't tasting the same thing." So yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm in your corner. Five Guys, New York City. It's great. It's a good spot. I actually, uh, I went in there. Quick little side story. I went in there with like Gabriel Rosado, a middleweight boxing fighter who was originally signed to Zone, and he had a tough couple of fights um, uh, recently. But uh, he was out there for a promotion um, to announce his fight with with Arias. Uh, for their um, their fight they had a, a while back, and he and I went into Five Guys. We had it, we could go anywhere in Midtown, New York, and we saw the Five Guys. We said, "Yeah, that's that's the correct choice right there. That's what we want to eat." <laughs> uh, if I ever see Gabriel Rosado, I will make sure I will make sure to ask him about Five Guys. But <laughs> but yeah, yeah so absolutely. yeah, um, but yeah, we got we certainly got a sidetrack right there. But we were discussing the. <laughs> the Carlos Canisa. I don't know how we got to five guys talking about Carlos Canisales and Shokimura, but yeah. So Carlos Canisales versus Shokimura for the WBA regular light flyweight title. I thought this fight was good. I thought it wasn't great, but I thought it was good. Canisales had a incredible game plan, like from round three onwards, which was Canisales obviously felt the devastating body punches that Shokimura is known for, and he figured. All right, I he's he punches harder, but I can definitely make him chase me. I can definitely punch faster than him, so I'm going to make him chase me, gas him out, and just throw quick three, four pound combinations upstairs and win the fight like that. And it turns out that was the case. Kimura spent a lot of time chasing Canisales throughout the yeah. fight, and right. you know there were some moments late in the fight where you know Canisales was starting to you know stay in the center of the ring and trade with Shokimura, but by yeah, then. That was by then on the scorecards, it was way too late for, for Shokimura. I thought the scorecards were a little too wide. It was 119-109 on two of the three scorecards, and the third one was 118-110. I had it 117-111, but I feel like that I was that's even a little too generous for Canisales. Uh, I want to hear what your thoughts are on the fight itself. Uh, 116-112, but again, I'm not a judge, and I always, you know, say that. I was also, uh, to be fair, I, I was kind of multitasking there, and, and Twitter was buzzing a little bit, too. Was, a lot was happening. Um, I always like to go back and rewatch fights as well. Uh, I had it 116-112. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased, but I could have easily seen it 117-111. I think that was more agreeable. Uh, I thought 118 and, and then the 119 scorecards were, were a bit wide, too, so you, I agree with you there. Yeah, Kenny Zales, beautiful game plan. Came out there with the plan for, uh, and, and, and followed it to a T. Well, not quite to a T. Like you said, he was uh, trying to trade Shokamura there for a little bit, and that's the type of fight that Shokamura wants. He wants the war, and I was actually hoping that Kenny Zales would, would engage and trade with him a bit more because with... Uh, 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 17 knockouts in his first 21 fights. Um, I wanted to see everyone, um, you know, exchange. I wanted to see a, re a repeat of what we, we know Kamara for, and, and those are, you know, exciting and friendly fights where people are getting getting bloodied and, and, and bruised and, and knocked down on the on the canvas. Um, I, I, like Kenny Zales was there for a win. He wasn't there for a knockout, and uh, and all the credit to him for for you know a good fight. I, I had a chance to meet Shokamura at his gym in uh, Tokyo. It's Aoki Gym. It's a nice 
nice establishment, nice place. Um, and I was watching him train. He looked really, really strong. He looked really strong. And it was nice to see him, you know, he, he had a nice uh, a win, a comeback win after his, his loss last year when he lost his flyweight title. Um, and, you know, he got his confidence back and everything else and I was I was pretty confident that he was going to at least make it closer than it was but you know there's only so much you can do when you have one game plan and then someone else has a better one and and you know they're beating you to the punch literally so um, where Kamura goes from here you know I'll probably find out in the next 24 hours um, it's, it's a little bit hard to uh, talk with uh, some people over in China right now because social media in China is, is, is strictly uh, what's the word controlled yeah um, Instagram doesn't work Facebook doesn't work um, line which is the main uh, uh, app for Japanese uh, people in, in Japan for messaging and things it's, it doesn't uh, work either or at least it's not working as well so I'll find out what what lies ahead um, here pretty quickly for Shokamura you know he's up there in age for these light these lighter guys um, and Ken Connie's you know he, he might you know he, he's gonna be fun to watch again uh, I'm hoping he'll you know fight a different fight the next time because when you have a, a, a knockout ratio like he has you sort of expect or, or at least hope that he's gonna get more we we come for the knockouts right knockouts are, are exciting fights and uh, we all we all want to see them. So, uh, assuming he can, you know, show up in his next fight or two and, and keep the momentum going, um, maybe we'll get a chance to see that and uh, show Kamara for his part. Um, you know, I wish him the best. Regardless, nice guy, hard trainer, loves boxing, and uh, yeah, his 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 gym is man, it's it's hot in there. It's really hot in there, and he's in there giving it 110 percent. And uh, he's, I, I remember that the sounds. The, the power shots he was hitting off the mitts of his trainer, man, they, they were extremely loud. And I was actually in there watching Marute uh, Metalane uh, train for for his fight um, that he recently won in in Tokyo. And uh, the trainer uh, for Marute uh, Metalane, uh, Colin, he and I were standing by the ring, and we we kept being distracted by Shokamura in the background because this guy is just going you know all out with his with his power shots and his 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 effort his intensity in, in this really hot gym on a, on a really unusually hot Tokyo day for the, for the month of May and uh, we were thinking yeah this is why this guy is who he is with you know these exciting bloody fights and we were uh, kind of hoping that he might pull out a win and might be able to face uh, Maruti uh, in the future but uh, you know that fight could still potentially happen and um, you know it's boxing so we never really know but yeah what did what, what do you what do you, what would you like to see uh maybe next for Kenny Zales, or what would you like to see maybe next for, for Kanju? What do you think they should do next? You know, honestly, uh, for, for for Kenny Zales, I think, you know, first of all, I think he had a fantastic game plan as we both discussed. It's, it's He's kind of a bit in a bit of a rut right now because he holds the WBA regular title, and yeah. Leo Sander, and, you know, well, no, I'm not going to I'm confusing with the other uh, super champion of the other guy, Alexander Cruz. No, the, the champion, the super champion, I believe, is Hiroto Kiyoguchi. And that that's a fight that can be made. I don't know how, you know, how much is Kanisales willing to travel back to Asia for a fight against Kiyoguchi. 
Yeah, sorry to cut you off. Yeah, he might not have a choice. I mean, if, if you want to be a world champion and, and the other guy holds all the cards, then you, you go where the fight is or you go where the money is. And uh, switching back real quick to Ito, the money was in Florida for him. That's where he went, even though he's the world champion. The, the better money was for him to be on ESPN in the middle of Florida. Uh, I was actually invited to go out there to kiss me, and I said, no, thank you. That's uh, You have to fly to Orlando. The logistics are terrible. But for <laughs> Kenny Gonzalez, yeah, the logistics might not be that great for him, to go back to Japan, but the fact is, is uh, Japan is a, is, is a really healthy uh, boxing community. Um, obviously, um, the sport as a whole could be better with you know, you know, casual fans tuning in, and that it's it's the same thing for you know, uh, for Japan as it is in America and Puerto Rico, I'm sure. Um, but for him, if he if he wants a good fight, if he wants to to, to, to challenge for the. Super is going to probably have to go out to Japan because Kiyoguchi has never, uh, well, he fought in Macau on New Year's Eve, but that's, I don't know how much you count that as, as traveling abroad because he's on a, a Japanese heavy, you know, fight card. Um, but yeah, he, if Kenny Zalas wants to, wants to fight, he'd probably have to take it to Kiyoguchi. And, and to be honest with you right now, I don't see Kiyoguchi losing, at least not to Kenny Zalas. Uh, he's, he's, he's quick, he's strong, he's the Ring Magazine champion for a reason. He's a fun fighter to watch. And you got Ken Shiro there. You know, in the division as well, you got two top-tier Japanese fighters. Maybe two of the top five best uh, for the entire country are in the same division. Both are champions. Ken Shiro's the WBC champion, and Kenny's always. You know, if he wants to fight, you know, maybe maybe Ken Shiro's looking for a volunteer. You know, that could be a fight that, that could be made too. But both of those guys come to fight. They look for knockouts. They look for TKOs. So uh, I, I just don't see. Uh, and they're and they're a lot quicker than Shokamura. They're younger than Shokamura. So I, I don't see the same game plan working exactly. Uh, the same way there but um yeah exciting fights in the lower divisions a lot of fights can be made and you know as a fan of of the sweet science you know i'm hoping i'm hoping they can and i i became a new fan today of kenny's all good looking guy you know good plan I, I was impressed he didn't he didn't get sucked into what kamura wanted him to do and 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 all, all the credit to him. That's, that's what world champions do they're, they're smarter than the other guy they, they gotta be right they gotta survive and they gotta perfect their craft the best way they can and each each fight is going to be different There's no opponent's going to be the same and they just have to you know literally roll the punches but um hey i wanted to thank you for you know having me on your podcast this time i actually uh have to jet and i hope uh, you'll invite me back on to talk more about you know japanese boxing or puerto rican boxing or boxing as a whole so it's a lot of fun um so i i appreciate uh the time and hopefully anyone who t- tuned in might um have learned something about a Japanese fighter that they didn't um, already know about or to, to a certain degree. But, um, and the next time, hey, Carlos, the next time you see me in New York or anywhere, if you see me there, say what's up. You know, I'm not always, you know, knowing what's going on around, you know, 360 degrees of, of, of my surroundings. So if you see me, please say what's up. You know, I'm not hard to, 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 to find. I'm six foot four. So please, please uh, don't, you know, say what's up and get my attention. We'll get, we'll grab a burger at Five Guys. No, absolutely. Uh, I will. I will make sure to keep that in mind, and I would love to have you uh, back on the show in the near future, especially um, in a few weeks, maybe to discuss the the card in Chiba, Japan, the Katsuro Yoka Aston Palikte, uh, Hiroki Yaguchi against Tana Tana uh, You know that that's a loaded card right there in a few weeks. Actually. 
absolutely right. That's a really big-time card. There's a lot of impl uh, implications uh, with, with those uh, matches, and there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, actually, that maybe we can talk about because there's a lot of things that people don't really know about, you know, why some of these fights are being made. You know, they might look one way for uh, on the surface, but in actuality, some other things are... Are, are happy. It's very interesting. Things are a little. Things are very much. You know, uh, they can be very sly in Japan. And, and if you don't look closely, you know, you might miss it. So it'd be exciting to, to come back and, and talk more uh, with you about that. All right, Nick. Uh, thank again. Thanks so much for coming here. It's Nick from you, you know me. Nick uh, from Ring TV, a Ring TV correspondent. He covers the lighter weights uh, over there on Ring Magazine, RingTV.com. Does a lot of great work covering the Asian boxing team, especially in, in Japan right now. He has an interview with Show Kimura. You can definitely check it out over there. His Twitter handle is No Sparring Nick. Thanks so much for coming in, and looking forward to talking to you in the future. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me, and let's get a burger soon, all right? Absolutely. <laughs> all right. See you, man. All right. See you. Bye. Yep, and that was my talk with uh, Nick Skoke from Ring TV. Really, really excited to have him on the show. I, again, I really enjoyed his work. Uh, funny enough, I didn't actually plan on having Nick uh, on the show. I just put out on Twitter saying, hey, maybe I'll probably do something uh, covering this week's uh, fight cards. And he said, hey, I've, you know, if you got time, I, I want to be in it. So we, we started tweeting and it was it was a lot of fun. I will definitely want to have him back on the show to discuss that the June 19 card in Chiba, Japan. is Kazuto Ioka versus Aston Palikte for the WBO Super Flyweight title. Uh, Hiroto Kiyoguchi against Tana Wat Nakun for the WBA uh, Life Flyweight title, the actual WBA Life Flyweight title, not the one that Canisales has. And then you also got Mio Yoshida versus Casey Morton for the WBO Female Super Flyweight title. So that is a loaded, loaded card. We don't even know what the what the undercard is. So I'm really excited about that. But uh, those were the two biggest cards, and you know I'm really glad that it involved Japanese fighters at the top, so I can have Nick on the show. And but there were other uh, plenty of good cards on. Well, not not good cards, but they were okay cards. They were certainly noteworthy cards in the, you know, in, in what happened. So, let's start with the, the zone card. So, the, the zone card had, uh, it had a few, uh, one, actually one good fight, and it was it was very, very weird. So, for those of you who are not aware of how the, the zone card was set up, so the main event of the, the zone card from the MGM National Harbor in Knoxon Hill, Maryland, it was headlined by Devin Haney versus Antonio Moran. And then the main card, the rest of the main card, consisted of Philip Hergovich against Gregory Corbin and Michael Hunter versus Fabio Maldonado. And then on the undercard, you had one of the best women's title fights of the year, a world title unification between Jessica McCaskill and Anair Esther Sanchez. And it was, it was a very, very weirdly uh, structured card. No need for having Hergovich against Corbin in the... In the co-main event, I, it made no sense whatsoever, in my opinion. But, let's see. But the main card, every single fight on the main card ended in, in a knockout, in a spectacular knockout. But none was more spectacular than the absolute, like, home run right hand that Devin Haney threw at Antonio Moran in the seventh round. It just, uh, words cannot describe 
how good that knockout was. It was like, it was kind of like a like a football throw where he just like starts up from like from his midsection, winds all the way up, and then just connects on the right onto the chin of Antonio Moran on the corner, and it was a thing of beauty. I highly recommend you go check out. That is the only thing like. Real noteworthy on that main card. Um, Michael Hunter knocked out, you know, Fabio Maldonado in less than five minutes, and Hergovich knocked out Gregory Corbin in a minute. So nothing to glean from there. Uh, the one fight I want to talk about on that the zone card was the McCaskill versus Sanchez fight for the unified WBA WBC female junior welterweight championships. This was fun. This was really really good. So, it was just 20 minutes of, like, almost non-stop barrages of punches being thrown left and right and lots of power going in there. McCaskill ended up winning by unanimous decision, although the scorecards were way too wide, in my opinion. She won, I believe it was 99-91, 98-92, and 96-94. Had no problem with the 96-94 cards. I had a 97-93, but 98 and 99 for for McCaskill was a little bit too wide. Even McCaskill, after the fight, said that she thought the scorecards were, were a little weird. But, I mean, it still does, in my opinion, it does not describe how good this fight was. And the scorecards do not do this fight justice. It's a very good card, a very good fight. Uh, I should say, I should say, the, the actual card wasn't anything spectacular, um, and so I highly recommend if you're a fan of women's boxing, you haven't didn't get a chance to watch this fight, go watch this fight. Very, very fun action. Jessica McCaskill, really, really good. She her career has been excellent ever since she fought Katie Taylor a couple of years back. She went to Chicago, had a great homecoming fight, won the WBC title, and then go on to unify the titles against Ana Esther Sanchez, who really. You you know, uh, no one really talks about Ana Yerzer Sanchez, but she is certainly someone who is, who, you know, in terms of, you know, fighters and women's boxing who've had great careers. Ana Yerzer Sanchez has had a really good career. She's, hold, she's held three full world titles, or at least a full world title in three different weight classes. And then she held an interim title in a fourth weight class. So her career has been very good. She's been at the top for the last few years of women's boxing, you know, in, in some of the divisions that she competed at. And a win against Ana Yerzer Sanchez is really good for Jessica McCaskill's career, especially when she's only nine fights into her career. So kudos to McCaskill. She had a brilliant performance and one of the best women's boxing fights I've seen for the year so far. This will definitely end up being one of the, you know, maybe 10, 15 best women's boxing fights of the year. And then lastly, uh, FS1, PBC, uh, this was a weird card, very weird card. You had in the main event... Austin Trout go up against uh, Terrell Gauchet, and I personally am not a fan of Terrell Gauchet, basically because of that entire, you know, bad, really bad fight that she that he had a couple years ago against Eddie Landilara, and he had, he fought Austin Trout in the main event, no titles at stake, no title eliminator, but... 
what was you know at stake was momentum you know the division the unit middleweight division is certainly going for a very drastic change that no one really expected with Tony Harrison and Julian J Rock Williams winning the world titles in the last couple of months or at least in the last six months so you know perfect opportunity for someone to crash the division even further and become a real contender and what ended up was a weird mismatch of styles I didn't really enjoy it all that too much. The fight ended in a in a split draw, a very bizarre split draw. So the scorecards read as follows, and hopefully you can follow. 99-91 Gauchet, 96-94 Trout, and 95-95. I know, right? Very, very weird uh, scorecards. I had Trout Gauchet winning 97-93. But it was a convincing 97-93. Uh, Gauchet, they kind of, you know, took the foot off the gas pedal a little bit in the last couple of rounds. Or at least in the last round. Um, you know, and I know finishing a fight is very, very important, especially on the scorecards. But you can't ignore the rest of the fight. I, I thought Gauchet won this fight. He should he deserve the win. And, you know, a win against Austin Trout would have done wonders for his career. Because Trout may not be the same guy that he was... Five six years ago, but he's certainly a quality name still at 154 pounds. That's heavily dominated my premier boxing champion. So you know, Trout wants an immediate rematch. Terrell Gauchet smartly wants bigger things than Gauchet, but I don't know if he'll actually get one. So that about wraps it up for this edition of the Fightful Boxing Podcast. A a weekend recap with special guest host Nick Skoke of of Ring TV. You can follow him on Twitter at No Sparring. Outstanding work he does covering the uh, the lighter weights in boxing. We need uh, you know more people checking out the lighter weights in boxing and you know media covering these lower weight classes and Nick has certainly done a tremendous job in doing that and you know I, I recommend checking out his work at Ring Magazine but you know you're, you're home for all things boxing MMA and pro wrestling is still Fightful so you can head on to Fightful.com for everything regarding pro wrestling MMA and boxing yes I mentioned you know covering all of those fights that were on discussed on this podcast you can read all about them at fightfulboxing.com if you're really more into the pro wrestling or just want to check out some pro wrestling content the FIFA Pro Wrestling channel got not one, but two special recap podcasts with two different teams discussing all elite wrestlings, double or nothing, fantastic show, even better podcast, if you can believe that, better podcast by Mr. Warren Case and Alex Pulowski on one side, and on the other hand, you got Sean Ross Sapp, managing editor of FIFA.com with Andrew Thompson, who is just an extraordinary up-and-coming writer on pro wrestling. I I highly recommend checking out his work at FightfulWrestle.com. Even on the Fightful MMA side, we got Joe Holberg becoming our new full-time MMA writer over there at Fightful. Lots of changes into Fightful. Lots of great things happening on Fightful. So I highly recommend checking out Fightful if you're a fan of combat sports, MMA, boxing, pro wrestling, or any combination of the three. Highly recommend you go check that out. But for now, I bid you adieu. On the Fightful Boxing Podcast, Carlos Toro. You can follow me on Twitter at CarlosToro360. Thumbs up this video. Subscribe to our new Fightful MMA Unboxing YouTube channel. And I am signing out.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.